Hello, everybody. Christian Faith Fellowship, how you doing? <laughs> Sorry, what? Now, yes, exactly. Uh, I do want to let you know, um, Pastor Dave and Kim aren't here this morning because uh, they're en route back from Wyoming. Uh, unfortunately, they had a little vehicular issue to get them back. So they're en route right now. So we'll be praying for them as they travel. But I uh, want to welcome the Village of Oak Creek. want to welcome Gospel Rescue Mission. want to welcome all y'all. So we get to do some things this morning that are pretty awesome. But first, before we do, I want to give you a little announcement. Uh, and I'm just going to read it because otherwise I will mess it up. How about that? So uh, the National Day of Prayer is coming up uh, Thursday, May 4th. So uh, we wanted to let you know that the Glass Chapel, the one across the way there, is going to be open from 6 to 7.30, 6 to 7.30 p.m. if you want to stop in and pray. And I invite you to be part of that Let's, as a nation as we lift up, uh, lift up in prayer what we want God to do for this country, what we want him to do in our hearts, what we want him to do in our city. Will you join us in participating uh, from 6 to 7.30 in the Glass Chapel? All right, just to let you know. All right. So, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, God set you up. Because uh, he's been preparing in me something that uh, is a challenge to me. And I'm assuming that he's going to be doing something in you as well. And if you're open to his spirit speaking to you now, I'm hoping that when you leave this place later on, you don't leave the same as when you came in. And what I mean by that is that for all of us, if we come face to face with Jesus, we should never leave the same. You hear me? How often is it that we come into a place like this and do a church like this and we get our little spiritual inoculation and say, oh, that was felt good. And then we go home. And how much does it change our life? Not much. But I think that's more about us than it's about him. That's more about how open are we to let the Spirit speak and do His work. So I'd like to encourage us this morning to open ourselves up to hear what He might have to say to us that leaves us changed. And I'm letting that be for me as well. Because, by the way, what I speak is not about me being on some sort of high horse. It's about me speaking to me a lot of times. So Pastor Dave gave me the opportunity to open the word for us, so I'm going to do that. But just out of the opportunity here this morning to make sure, you know, I know the audience we're speaking to. So uh, by a show of a raise of hands, um, how many here, oh wait, you know what, before I do that, let me do something a little different. Let me, let me, let me, let, before I get into what I was going to get into, let's do this. Because y'all know what's coming. This is our accountability uh, questions here. So did you spend at least five minutes a day, at least five days a week, reading or hearing the Bible? Yes. Okay. There you go. Five minutes a day, five days a week. Everybody can do that, right? Come on. Why are we not ingesting the word? This is it. This is important. Did you spend time alone with God without an agenda? Yes. Okay, that's a little quieter. Maybe work on that. How often are we just sitting there listening? Do we, do we give him the opportunity to speak into our lives without us telling him what needs to go on? Okay, let's work on that. Do you know what the Holy Spirit is saying to you? Uh-huh, a little bit less. And I think maybe the, the reason that's a little bit less is because the other one was. Because we're not necessarily sitting listening, so how are we hearing? Okay, that's challenging. Me too. So... Are you giving as God has asked you to give? Yes. I'm talking about time, talents, resources. Yes. All of them. OK? 
Okay? Are you giving? Did you share Jesus with someone this week? Kind of. Yeah, that, that's a, it depends. I mean, I said his name, right? But, but how is it that we actually share Jesus? Maybe it's for each of us, how do we tell someone else what he's done in us? Now, that's vulnerable, right? Okay, so did you share Jesus with someone this week? Okay, last one. Did you invite someone to church this week? Yes. All one of us. No, I'm kidding. But that's the challenge. By the way, we got plenty of space in the second service for anybody that wants to come. So let's get them here. Because ultimately, this isn't the place where people's lives get changed, but he is. So when we come face to face with Jesus, hopefully we don't leave the same. All right. So now digging into what we're going to do this morning um, to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we're all you know, of the same mindset. I, by a show of hands, how many here today are perfect a and never make mistakes ever? Never fall on our face, never sin? Well, nobody's like me. <laughs> Only Jesus. And that, is, and that is a true statement. However, I'm not either. In fact, if I, if I actually told you that, I was lying. So I just fall flat on my face right then. So that's the thing. So because we all fall and we all make mistakes, we all fail at times, I think what I have to share with us this morning might be applicable to all of us. Because we have an opportunity to see through Scripture Jesus' heart for the lost. And I don't mean the lost because they have, they're never found, but because of those that were with him that fell. Those that broke the covenant, those that fell from sin, those that did not follow what he had to say. And, and I'm one of those. Are you? So what happens in the middle of that is that I think we far too frequently have a little bit of a distorted view of what that kind of sin means in our life. And I think that's intentional. I think the enemy of our soul actually pushes us to believe these lies that we either decide to allow this sin to cripple us and to, and to hold us back from being able to do anything. We think we're now unworthy of God even providing us forgiveness anymore. Have you ever felt that way? Well, sure, God can forgive sin, but he can't forgive what I've done. I mean, look at me, you know. But, or maybe we try as Adam and Eve did, which is, yeah, I sinned, but now I don't want anybody to see it, so I'm going to hide. How often do we live one of those two things out? Either we take ourselves out of the whole kit and caboodle, believing that we have no hope for the future, or we say, God, I don't want you to see it. I don't want anybody else to see it, so we withdraw. I'd like to tell us this morning that that response is exactly what the enemy of your soul wants. He wants you to take yourself out of the game because if you're not in the game, you're no threat to him. You're no threat. God can't use you to make a difference. And that's exactly why God wants something different. So God has a different plan for us, and, and I'd like us to consider this morning how Jesus wants to restore us in the middle of when we fall and when we fail, his purpose, his hope, his goal for each of us is to restore us. Maybe you don't feel that way in the moment, 
But I'd like us to look at this this morning. And if sin has entered into our life, I'd like us to look at the opportunity we have for restoration in Jesus through repentance and forgiveness. See, Jesus demonstrated to us that his character, his nature, God's purpose is relentless love. Which means that nothing stops God's love. It keeps on pursuing. It keeps on following. It keeps on seeking each of us. So as we enter into this morning, I hope that we can maybe get a little bit of a picture of a glimpse of who Jesus is. And let's be transformed by that. We're going to be looking at a a passage in the book of John. So this is the Gospel of John, and there's two different sections in chapter 21 and in chapter 18 that we're going to be looking at. Now, for me to read this all verbatim, it would take a bit long, and I think we might get a little bit lost in the concept. So I'd like to encourage you to do something. What I'd like to encourage you to do is after the fact, maybe later on today, open up that passage and verify what I'm going to tell you right now is right. Okay, because I'm going to paraphrase it for us. I'm going to tell you the story of the way I see it and the way I read it. And then ultimately, I'd like us to be able to enter into this moment alongside one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And he is one that, honestly, I see far too much of myself in, both for the good and the bad sometimes. And that's Peter. How many of you relate to Peter? Oh my gosh, Peter is just like all of us, isn't he? He's, he's so bombastic at times, and he's so, God, I'm all for you. And then he goes, oh, but I'm so weak. And then he falls on his face, and we go, oh, poor Peter. But I'm just like him. I'm just like him. I talk the big talk, and then I fall flat on my face. And I imagine God's like, oh, that was cute. You're so good. Get up. And you could do this thing. <laughs> just wipe your knees off. All right, here we go. So I'd like to look at the story together, and I'd like to start from the end. Don't you love it when movies do that? They start at the end and then they go back to the beginning? Yeah. Well, we're going to do that. Just for the sake of understanding where we are and what's happening. Now, I'd like to consider this this morning as the tale of two charcoal fires. And you'll understand why in a little bit. So the tale of two charcoal fires, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. I'm kidding, it's not the tale of two cities. But it was the worst so let's look at what Peter experienced in this moment to set the stage for us where we're picking up in chapter 21. This is after the death of Jesus. This is after the resurrection. This is after Jesus actually met with the disciples and showed them that he is alive. Okay, so it's in this moment, though, that Peter lives defeated, broken, hurting, confused, not sure what the future holds. See, everything that Peter had planned in his mind for what it meant to be a follower of the Messiah now was turned upside down. And Jesus is no longer like going to be established as a king. He's no longer going to be leading them into a new, into a new era of, of overthrowing Rome. You know, maybe those are some of the things he's been holding on to, but he also had this belief that the kingdom was now and that that now meant Jesus was going to be here. And now things have changed. Not to mention that Peter failed. Peter fell flat on his face, just like maybe you or I have. Now, to be fair to Peter, to be fair to Peter, 
He's one of only two disciples that actually followed Jesus, even in the midst of when everybody else ran. For a while, he was the one that stood by while Jesus was being questioned. But he still denied him. So let's look together here. At this moment now, after all of this, Peter's feeling the business about himself. So now he's not sure what's next. So what does he do? He goes back to what he knows. Not that, not that any of this is completely wrong or bad, but Peter goes fishing. So Peter was a fisherman. He was a fisherman long before he was a disciple. In fact, Jesus called him off the water to be a fisher of men. Remember that? So now Jesus is, or Peter has now said, you know what, boys, I'm going fishing. So, you know, John and James and a bunch of the other ones, they went with him. They said, okay, yeah, we'll go with you. We'll go fishing. How many like to fish? Okay, well, that's good. You know, you like to fish. But this is a moment where Peter was just living out something that was comfortable to him. Not, not necessarily doing the thing that God called him to do, but doing the thing that he enjoyed. And that's, again, not bad, but that's the moment we find ourselves. Now, the disciples are out on the water all night long. And how many fish did they catch? None. El Zippo. You got hours and hours and hours through the night that you have been fishing on the water, and you've got not a single fish to show for it. Well, that's a depressing night. And it's in this morning at twilight as the sun starts coming up. Some man on the shore looks out and says, Hey, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Right, because fish only go on this side, not on this side, right? That's the way that, okay, whatever, we'll do it. They throw it over and they have a catch that happens that is so much they can't even pull it into the boat. John looks at Peter and says, it's Jesus. Peter, not even thinking about things, grabs his coat, puts it on, jumps in the water. He's swimming to shore. He's like, I'm, forget you guys with the fish. I'm going to Jesus. That's Peter. He's just, Act first, think later. It's what, it's what he does, right? But that's, that's where we are, where, where Peter's on his way already. He's going to meet Jesus on the shoreline. This is what's going to happen. And the you know, rest of the disciples, they bring in the fish. And they actually caught 153 fish. That's a lot of fish. So they, they bring this to the shore. And Jesus meets Peter at the shoreline, already prepared a charcoal fire. And he's cooking some fish and some bread, and he says, Peter, go grab the fish you guys just got. Let's cook some of this up. And he cooks it up, and they all sit down, Peter, the disciples, Jesus, all sit down at this charcoal fire where he has cooked up this meal, and they eat together. And as he's there together, he takes the fish, and he breaks it. And this moment happens where I believe each of these scenarios that happen here are in an intentional reminder to Peter about not only who he was, but who he is. Amen. Now, here's why I say that. Do you remember the first time that Jesus met Peter? Peter was much the same on a boat all night, fishing, catching nothing. Jesus calls out from the shore, hey, throw it at the other side. He does more fish than he can carry. Huh. Do you think that might be an intentional that Jesus was trying to remind Peter you remember who I called you to be? That might not be what you're doing right now, but you remember, I called you to be a fisher of men. Huh. It's just one of those moments of trying to bring Peter in line. Peter comes to shore, and he brings him face to face with 
uh, the opportunity to remember another thing. As they all eat together, he breaks the fish and breaks the bread. And I imagine if that, that looked very familiar to Jesus or to, to the disciples as Jesus is doing this, they're thinking, well, didn't he just feed 5,000 people by doing that kind of same thing? I remember that. It probably felt very familiar, reminding them of the way that God works miraculous things and doing miraculous things in a moment that doesn't make any sort of sense. And yet Jesus went an extra step and he brought Peter to a charcoal fire. Now, why in the world is that important? Well, the only reason I find it to be interesting is because there's only two charcoal fires talked about in all of the New Testament when it comes to the Gospels here. There's only two charcoal fires that are talked about. They're both talked about by John. He made emphasis to bring out that it wasn't just a fire, but it was a charcoal fire. Seems a little significant to me. I don't know. So as I look at this, I see this moment. Now, do you remember, have you ever noticed how smell brings you tied to a memory? Have you ever experienced that? It's actually been scientifically proven that, that smell is one of the most powerful connectors to memory. And when you smell something, ever smelled like an apple pie or something, and you instantly thought back of grandma cooking this thing in the, in the oven. You remember all sitting around the table enjoying this thing together. Oh my gosh, I'm just like salivating right now. So have you ever had those moments where you're like, oh, wow, that memory. How much do you think that might have been part of what was going on here when Jesus set the stage with all of the aromas and all of the moments that brought Peter to a memory? At a charcoal fire from his past. Now let's look back what that charcoal fire was like. So that we find in chapter 18. To set the stage of this, this is after Jesus has been arrested in the garden. This is a little bit of a different story in the sense that everybody left Jesus except Peter and John. Uh, John apparently was known by the high priest, so he went into this courtyard as Jesus was being questioned inside the house. He went inside already. Now, Peter wasn't known by anybody, so he kind of stayed outside for a while uh, until John came and said, hey, yeah, he's, he's, he needs to come inside. And the servant girl comes over to the, to the gate to let him into the courtyard and says, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? No, 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 that's, that's not me. Okay. So Peter comes into the courtyard. Now, have you ever noticed when you're really nervous or scared about something that you get really cold? Granted, it was a cold night, so I was probably even more exacerbated. So, of course, Peter finds himself warming himself by the charcoal fire. And as he's trying to keep himself just feeling okay enough to be here, keeping an eye on Jesus, saying, Jesus, what is it you're going to be doing next? Surely you've got another plan here. What's going to happen? In that moment, as he's warming himself by the fire, somebody looks over him and says, hey, weren't you the one, weren't you one of his disciples? no, 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 that, was, that wasn't me. Just keeps warming himself. Just let me be warm. Come on. Someone else comes up and says, you know, it, my, my, my brother was, was in, the, in the garden when you cut off his ear. Wasn't that you? Weren't you one of his disciples? I tell you, I don't know the man. Right then, the cock crows. And it all comes real. I just fell flat on my face. 
It's in those moments of brokenness that we find Peter. Peter ran out of that, that courtyard weeping, realizing the, the fullness of his failure, how he denied. In fact, one of the gospel tells us that at that moment when the cock crowed, Peter's eyes and Jesus' eyes met. And he knew. Oh, wow. That was it. You ever felt that failure? That brokenness? That moment of, oh my goodness, I failed. He's done with me. I'm sure that's exactly how he felt, because that's how I would have felt. Boy, if the shoe were on the other foot, I, I probably would be done with them, right? You're going you're gonna to betray me like that? We're, we're over. Hmm. But that's not what happens with Jesus. See, Jesus pursued Peter on a shoreline to set him up with a moment to undo all of this. And I want you to know that for us this morning, Jesus pursues each of us in our failure to restore us. Amen. Let me say that again. Jesus pursues each of us in our failure with the purpose of restoring us. If you don't believe that Jesus is in the business of restoring those who have fallen, then you don't know my God. Because when it comes to Jesus, he spent so much of his time looking at parables speaking of this truth. And I think for us, we maybe get lost in the fact that we believe something about these parables that isn't true. Like for instance, the parable of the lost sheep. Who are the lost sheep? Okay. How often do we say, oh, the lost sheep are those that, that don't know Jesus? I'm sorry, no. The lost sheep are us. The lost sheep are the ones that were his that walked away. The lost sheep are the ones that fell. Amen. And the lost sheep are the ones that he has so much of a heart for that he's willing to leave the 99 and go find the one to bring a difference to them. Amen. That is the Jesus we serve. That is the love of God to you. The, 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 there's another parable following that one, the lost coin, where a woman loses a coin and she, puts, she stops everything she's doing. She tears her entire house apart to find that lost coin. And Jesus is saying, that's how important the lost one is to me. He, he represents a third parable here. That's the parable of the lost son, often called the prodigal son. And the story of the son that leaves the father and says, ah, I'm done with you. I'm going. You, you were just holding me back. Just give me my inheritance. I'm leaving. He goes off and spends it all his way and finally gets to the bottom of everything. Have you ever been to the bottom of everything? Oh, how often is it that we stay there at that bottom of everything and say, I'm done. There's nothing that God can do with me anymore. I have, I have broken too much. There's nothing that can heal this. Well, that's almost what the prodigal said. So he said, oh, you know what? I'll go back to my father, but I know he's not going to take me back, so I'll instead just be a servant. But as his father sees him from a distance, he goes running to find him, running to catch him, puts the robe around him and says, you're my son, puts a ring on his finger. That restoration is who Jesus is. So do you think that the God we serve cares about those that fall more than anything. 
And we see this lived out practically with Jesus, with Peter, right now. Because what this is all about is Jesus reaching out to Peter to say, yeah, I know you fell. Yeah, I know you broke exactly my heart. You broke it, but we can fix this. What I have for you is for a future that is more than what you've done. What I have for you is purpose. Mm. So as we look here at this moment, we've looked at Peter's failure. I'd like us to go back now to the charcoal fire that is connected to that memory. Now, Jesus does something kind of interesting here. So after all the disciples have eaten together, they've all enjoyed this dinner. I think we maybe sterilize this passage in our mind, and maybe we've been taught it this way, but I think improperly. Uh, oftentimes we think, okay, now, now at this point in the story, Jesus takes Peter aside away from everybody else and says, oh, hey, Peter, let's have a private conversation. Uh-uh. No, that's not what happened. Jesus in front of all Peter's friends said, hey, Peter, do you love me more than these? Um, see, Peter's the one that said, yeah, if they fail you, they'll fail you, not me. That's not me. Yeah, I don't care if they all leave. I'm the one that's going to follow you no matter what. I'll die for you, Jesus. So, Peter, do you love me more than these? Ouch. Do you feel that? As Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? Now, there's a little bit of a language piece here that I think is an interesting point that I'm not sure if John was entirely trying to make because there are some, there are some points where you look at the, the use of different words in Greek for love that are often used almost interchangeably. However, John's very intentional about creating a comparison here. So there are several versions of the word love inside Scripture. One is agape. Now, agape is a kind of love that is described. If you, if you read C.S. Lewis, he does a wonderful diatribe on the four loves. If you want to ever read up on that, it's a beautiful, beautiful concept. But, but he describes in Greek what these different ones mean. The, the agape meaning the selfless, self-sacrificing love that God has for us. Agape is a beautiful you first, not me, kind of love. It is the love that Jesus demonstrated when he stretched out his arms and said, I love you this much, and my blood is enough for you. When he became the atoning sacrifice for you and me. That is the agape. Now, the other kind of love that is talked about here is phileo. And you probably have heard the, the root of this, the, like, for instance, Philadelphia, the city of love. Or, you know, a philanthropist is someone who loves doing something for someone else. It's, it's an affection. It is a connection. So, like, I have phileo for my family. I have that connection, that I have the, the, your family to me. You, you, are, you are loved, right? But that, that's more about an an emotional connection than it is about a willful choice. So in this moment, Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, you, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. 
huh, then feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you agape me? Peter's like, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Then feed my lambs. And Jesus, the third time, Peter, do you phileo me? Ow. Do I even? Do I even care about you the way I'm saying? Jesus, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. Now, three things happen here. Because there were three times that Peter had to say, I don't know the man, and Jesus is saying, but do you love me? He's allowing, he's allowing Peter to be able to undo that which he broke in front of all of his family, in front of all of his friends, to restore Peter to proper relationship with Jesus. See, here's the truth that I'd like us to gather out of this. Jesus cares more about your love than your perfection. Amen. Jesus cares more about your love than your perfection. Now, what do I, does that mean sin doesn't matter? Oh, no, 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 no. Don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. Because what I'm trying to explain to us is that love motivates action. Not action motivating love. So it's not about the what as much as it's about the who. So when we look at this, the point of this, and Jesus even talks about this a little bit later on when he talks in John chapter 14, Jesus was talking very specifically about this concept. It says, Jesus replied, this is John chapter 14, verse 23. It says, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. Notice how Jesus talks about love motivating action. Right? If you love me, then what happens is you obey my commands. And if you don't love me, then you don't obey my commands. It starts with the love of God. It starts with a connection to the source of life. It starts with a choice to say, God, I am all yours. And because of that loving relationship, what you want for me is what I do. See, the difference is when we look at the way God has, has knit us together, all of us, we need to get a proper understanding of the relationship that we actually have with the creator of the universe. And I think in a lot of times we get this twisted in our brain. We get the belief that God and us, you know, we're good. We're, we're, we're simpatico. We're friends. We are the same. Well, that's broke. Because the only way that we really understand a proper relationship, a loving relationship with God our Father is to understand that He is God, we are not which means there is an authority hierarchy that has to exist. Otherwise, it's broke. Which means when God looks at what we are doing, as he looks at us, we have to come into submission to his authority. Which means when God says something, we either choose, I like my way, or yes, God, I submit to your way. 
Do you notice how we always have that choice? In every moment of life, we're given the opportunity to choose God's way, choose our way. That freedom is the only way that our love for him can even exist. Do you understand that if you had no choice, if you had no will in that matter, then you would have no ability to love because love cannot be forced. It can only be chosen. So when we look at what God has for us, that obedience has to be an outcropping of that love. Mm. Okay, so in every moment, are we willing to, as Pastor Dave loves to say, in that moment, surrender, trust, obey. Every one of those opportunities of surrender, trust, and obey is an opportunity to enter into that loving, proper relationship with the God of the universe and to recognize that we are his and we are desperately loved. In fact, God loves you even more than you can love you. I don't know, I can love me pretty good. Nope, he loves me better. In fact, he wants for me what's my best. In fact, until we actually take on the understanding that God wants for us what is best, He's not trying to keep us from what is good. He's trying to keep us from what kills. All right. I'm off on a tangent. How about we move on? <laughs> so here's the truth. Our failure is not a surprise to God. Yet he pursues relentlessly. So even though God knew that Peter would fail, he still sought him out on that beach. In fact, I would go even a little bit farther. And I realize this is a little bit of a challenging thought. I don't know if you guys follow up with the daily devotionals that Pastor Dave puts out. He, he has, by the way, if you don't, get our app. There are just little five-minute segments that are great ways to start your day. And one of the ones that Pastor Dave did about a week and a couple days ago, he went back to this story that we're talking about this morning of Peter inside the, the courtyard there denying Christ. And he talks about that in comparison to Judas. Judas, who ultimately betrayed Jesus for the silver and ultimately then went out and hung himself and died. Now, he did that comparison between the two. I think here's an interesting point. Do you think Jesus' heart for Judas was any less than it was for Peter? I would posit to us today that if Judas had come back and, and said, you know, I was wrong, forgive me, that he would have been welcomed back and restored just like Peter is. Amen. I will tell you that what you have done to break God's heart is not as bad as the fullness of his grace that covers it. Are you thankful for that? Amen. My goodness, I am. So I'd like just to look here, again, when, when it comes to what is coming for, for Peter, um, looking back at Luke chapter 22, verses 31 uh, and 32, I believe, uh, as we look together, it says, this is Jesus talking to Peter, and this is after um, the disciples of all uh, partaken in the, the Last Supper. And so Jesus says to, to Peter right now, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you, each of you, I mean all the disciples, like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. 
Oh, this is my favorite part right here. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. How often do we gloss over that there? It seems so interesting to me. I don't know why. It just stuck stuck out to me like a sore thumb after you hit it with a hammer. It's like, what just happened right now? You're going to fail me. So when you come back. So that means, yes, I know you're going to fall. Yes, I know you're going to sin. Yes, I know that you're going to break my heart. Yet when? When you turn. When you come back, I am there with open arms. He is the loving father looking for the son, ready to wrap his arms around us and say, yes, I want to restore you. You are mine. I forgive you. You just need to turn. See, Satan will try to convince you that your sin is greater than God's grace. And it isn't possible. It's not. See, Satan wants us to wallow in that failure. He wants us to take ourselves out of, out of the fight. He wants us to be off the battlefield because this is a battle, not flesh and blood, but of spirit and of truth. This is, the, this is a battle that is God's battle, and the only way that we're effectively used in it is if we're in the fight. Jesus wants us to do something different. He doesn't want us to run from our failure. He wants us to face our failure head on. When we fall, we need to avoid the temptation to hide. We need to avoid the temptation to believe that we're broken beyond repair. And we need to do something intentional towards what God asks. See, he wants to restore us. But forgiveness is just a confession away. 1 John 1, 9, I know you guys have heard this is the Sunday school passage, but how often do we take this for granted? If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. See, confession is the first step. It's not the fullness of that process. There is another step that is implied, and that is that not only do I agree with God that this thing that you're saying is sin is sin, I finally say, yes, God, that's sin. What if I just go, yeah, that's sin, and I love it. Oh, I love my sin. No, that's not what we're talking about here. Confession implies repentance. But what is repentance? Repentance is not only saying, yes, God, that's sin, but now I choose to turn away from that sin and turn directly to you. Instead of pursuing this that you said was wrong, I'm pursuing you. It's in confession and repentance that we find the third and most beautiful thing that we can never do for ourselves, and that's restoration. That is something that Jesus does in us. That is the father putting the robe on us, putting the ring on our finger and saying, yeah, we're killing the fatted calf and having a party. You are my son. Do you hear me? Jesus wants to restore you, not as a servant, but as his child. But what is the predicate on that? Confession, repentance, pursuing him. That's it. It's a simple process, 
But how difficult is it for us to step into that? Because we believe the lie. We believe we're not redeemable. We believe that God doesn't have for us the answer that his grace is not enough to cover my sin. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe the lie. So for us today, it's very simple. I'm going to invite us to stand to our feet. Let's just spend some time in this moment of holiness right now. And I'd like to ask that you open your heart to what God might want to say. Let him speak to your heart right now. There's two action steps that I want us to consider, and they're simple ones. Simple yet difficult. So the first one is, do you need to agree with God and confess and repent of something this morning? Is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart right now? Then now's the time. And I'm going to invite you that this altar is always open. And this is an opportunity for you to come face to face with Jesus and to make a new path that creates a new change, that creates a new identity. So this is an opportunity for you. Do you agree with God, confess and repent of something this morning? Here's a place. The second one is this. If Jesus is calling you for the first time, maybe you've never accepted him in the first place. Maybe you've never said, yeah, that Jesus is Lord. Then now is the opportunity for you to correct that and to join him in an act of, yes, God, I choose your way, not my way. I surrender. I'm trusting. I'm obeying. If that's you this morning, oh, don't let anything hold you back. Now is the time. Today is the time. Now is the moment. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, restoration. You are a child of the king. Do you hear me? A child of the king. Mm. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you. I thank you for the opportunity we have to join you in a loving relationship, that you desire our love more than you desire our perfection, that you have called us into something that is greater because of who we are in you, not in what we do. But Lord, you have called us into greater because of you. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive us for the moments when we've when we've broken that covenant with you, when we've broken our place as who we were in you. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity, the sweetness of something we never understood to, we never, we never deserve, but Lord, you've always given that you seek after us and your relentless love pursues. So Jesus, we meet you now in this moment of truth saying, yes, we failed. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help us to find the restoration that is in you. In all of this, Jesus, we ask in your name. In faith, we trust you to be the outcome, to be the transformative factor in our lives. Amen. Amen. I invite you to quietly leave. Feel free to love someone else on your way out. Spend time as much as you need here. This is a place to meet God.